0: Good afternoon, everybody. I'm recording this in one take, starting at about two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, the day it's released. Quite a bit later than normal, because I've been working on this since, if you can believe it. My gosh, like five, about quarter to six in the morning this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, working on it basically nonstop, other than a nice slow breakfast of soft-boiled eggs over toast a bit of shoveling of some beautiful snow that fell overnight and oh yeah I got out the garbage other than that I've been just sitting here writing so I need to get this out and it's probably more heartfelt than anything I've had on the show thus far So here we go. So this week, I used some Christmas money to subscribe to HBO Max so I could watch their 10 episode production of Station Eleven, which is definitely worth the price of admission. More than the post-apocalyptic existence depicted, however, it has me thinking, what is culture? Is culture electricity and the internet? I wrote this with a fountain pen, this whole episode, if you can believe it. (laughs) By the way, if this gets too long, I will probably give you next week off. I'll give you that time back. All right, so feel free to pause it somewhere. Not that you need my permission to do that. But I will not overload your feed with too much Eddie. I know a little Eddie goes a long way. Anyway, so I wrote this all page after page with a fountain pen and ink given to me by Leifanger for Christmas. And prior to starting, I unscrewed the instrument, dipped the nib into this very cool jar full of ink, the branding of which was designed in 1897, and pulled up on this little plunger thing uh, by twisting to the right and watched the dark liquid fill the cylinder as if it were blood. So it was written in Fuhlhalter Tinte Königsblau, which is fountain pen ink, royal blue in German. Anyway... It's a marvelous tool, it forces me to slow down, be more thoughtful, and when you hold it just so, the ink just flows. It's really satisfying. Now I'm gonna share a couple stories here that I go into further detail in this book I'm working on, which has been existing in a sort of cryogenic stasis for the past month or so because many of the problems seem, seem beyond my current abilities. Anyhow, this is from a period quite early in my journey from timid cubicle dweller who waited for handouts and opportunities from the corporate overlord and toward our current existence, which is simultaneously independent and dependent upon our community through the sales of produce from my urban farm, Tiny Farm Duluth, sale of my wife's artwork, and she did just sell a $900 painting last week which should arrive by mail today to her buyer by the way and the occasional shekel rolling in from the sale of a book very occasional so in the first example I was invited out to food farm to appear in a short Kickstarter film they had commissioned for their then planned root cellar where things like their wildly popular carrots are stored and metered out to the community until they run out usually in early spring. Anyhow, I was jobless, and book sales were rapidly dwindling. This was, oh, late-ish May of 2015. So I wasn't able to pay for gas for the 60 miles round trip to Renshaw and back. Well, I'm sure I could have paid for it. I chose not to. Anyhow, I packed rubber boots, work pants, and a thermos filled with mulligatawny soup into a backpack and enjoyed an adventure by bike, which, which cost nothing. The journey carried me down the entire length of Duluth, paralleling Lake Superior, the extreme western head of the lake, and then along the St. Louis River Bay and Estuary through gritty industrial areas. And finally, to the extreme edge of Duluth where the river takes a sharp turn and transforms from enormous estuary into proper river. Instead of turning right with the river, about a 90 degree turn, I went straight down Highway 23, crossing the bridge, a spot where you can often spot pelicans at that time of the year, in spring once again, and up a mile plus long hill, climbing out of the Lake Superior Basin and into the rare pocket of agricultural fertility that is Renshaw. Notice that word, culture. This trip by bike, taken that way solely for the necessity of not spending any money, not even five dollars that didn't directly benefit the family, changed my life absolutely and not for any reason that I could have foreseen or planned. The spring landscape was verdant greened, green and it was as if the Hallelujah Chorus was going on all around me as I connected with the land in a way that it would have been impossible had I arrived encased in 2,903 pounds of steel, glass, and plastic hurtling across time, space, and wildly disparate cultures. Instead, I arrived atop the fancy carbon fiber bike after bouncing down their lengthy driveway past solar panels and young crops recently emerged from the soil and suddenly found myself in a semicircle of farm workers, all strangers, who were preparing hundreds of seed potatoes for planting. It strikes me now as some sort of miracle that I closed out the season with each and every one of those individuals as a part time worker myself, while harvesting the bounty produced by these very same seed potatoes. Anyhow, the point is that entering this semicircle of strangers, would typically have been terribly awkward and uncomfortable for me. But instead of arriving noisily and intrusively in an automobile, the bike was quiet and unassuming. I merely leaned it up against the garage, changed out of my goofy clicky shoes, and took a seat in the middle of their now completed circle. I literally did complete a physical circle, which strikes me as symbolic of culture in some way and poured a generous serving of piping hot, well-earned mulligatawny soup and immediately set them all to drooling. For reasons mysterious, they take lunch at 2 p.m., and I reckon it was about 12.30 or so, maybe 50 degrees, a very light wind, and a bright sun that warmed us all. But that's beside the point. More importantly, I entered the circle seamlessly and without effort due to having peddled the city out of me and after connecting with the land. Now there was an instant connection with these people of the land, though they were and are significantly different than me. Culture is made up of of the people and the land and the fruits of many thousands of interactions therein. Culture suffers when the people are divorced from the land and therefore lack any sense of place. Now Having entered this circle, I was afforded the opportunity of experiencing the astounding contrast when the somewhat cosmopolitan and chic 20-something attractive females, the uh, hired videographers, bounced down the road and sort of punctured our little circle. Through no fault of their own, it was as if the record skipped as they uncomfortably stepped from their car, and while getting there from the city was much simpler than my method, They'd need to work much harder at connecting than me. And so, whatever your method, it's vital that we connect with culture, have a conversation, and sort of unwittingly collaborate with it. And I think I'll just quick add, I mean, it's like I added to the culture simply by enjoying my soup and enjoying their presence, offering up a smile and a listening ear. That contributed to culture. Anyhow, I'll contrast that with much of my childhood, which, you know, other than the couple years in which I delivered newspapers, aged 12 to 14, I was basically walled off and hermetically sealed from neighbors and culture, particularly those last couple of years when I was deeply embarrassed by the hoarding that resulted in possessions and garbage reaching the ceiling and 100-plus animals in my room. The stench was overwhelming. Picture the strong odor of a monkey house mingled with mold, mildew, and rotting garbage. Ironically, other than mowing the lawn, the tendency was to hole up inside, in front of the television, and often pretend I wasn't home when someone knocked, for opening the door would break the seal and release the overpowering reek into the atmosphere, an embarrassment to be avoided at all costs. Anyhow, that TV was and on 16 hours a day, whereby I was reduced to merely consuming what passes as culture, something akin to junk food, perhaps. The lesson was intensely valuable and well worth experiencing. I never wish to be a mere consumer of culture again, but one who connects with it. This is essential for healthy relationships, joy, and a positive outlook on life, connection with and to your place, and so very much more. In my next example, I was commissioned to write a story about a teen drop-in center called Life House for a local magazine. It's located in downtown Duluth, the culture in and around the facility that serves troubled teens, many of whom are homeless, is wildly different than the bucolic setting in and, around, in, in and surrounding food farm. And once again, significantly discordant with my own collection of experiences. Now, for many years, we were a single car family. As a side note, I know this doesn't seem like it relates, but it relates, people. Just hang in there. As a side note, I'll mention that I had once advocated that we be a no-car family as an experiment. So I never felt deprived in having just one extremely complex 2,903-pound Toyota Prius Hybrid. We were not deprived. Anyhow, on the day of my scheduled interview with the entire staff of Lifehouse, who all gathered around a large conference table with me, there was a schedule conflict where my my wife and daughter needed to be at a medical center at roughly the same time. What a happy accident this was. Rather than arriving just in the nick of time, hurried and stressed after finding parking, and inevitably cheaping out on the number of quarters fed into the meter, I walked that last mile completely relaxed through gritty neighborhoods and haunts that I wouldn't have chosen to stroll through. It was surprisingly enjoyable and afforded me the ability to more easily connect with people whose lives, experiences, and opinions were wholly unlike my own. Once again, I had connected with the land, the surroundings, and people in advance, something which enabled success. I had slowed my brain down Arrived without any preconceived ideas or solutions, and was ready to simply listen. I don't have time to really talk about Lifehouse, but we'll mention that artist Adam Swanson has an insanely ambition, ambitious mural on the back of the building of a phoenix. I think it must be fifty feet high, and he had to put it up in he had to put up numerous stages of scaffolding to reach the top. Crazy! As he showed me some photos. It's insane. Um, i've only seen pictures of it i can't believe i haven't looked at the darn thing anyhow to build an authentic experience, I declined my wife's offer to come pick me up afterward. Sorry if that sounded so like <laughs> like this huge like i'm building to this climax. I declined to ride after anyway it- it matters though i decided to either i decided to either walk the five miles home or take the bus incidentally that sort of Writing, what I can't even read my own handwriting here. That sort of writing work really doesn't work for me. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, sorry. Next time I'll try to hit pause. I apologize, you guys. I was thinking about these all these random thoughts all night long. All right, so roll with me here. This, this, there's good stuff here. So, and so incidentally, that sort of writing work it just really doesn't work for me due to my need to connect so immersively. So, like, you know, I was hired, I think it was. $300 for this cover story. Anyway, those who do it over the long haul, they just they just sort of pick up the phone for a 30-minute chat and then pound out the piece. And even at $300 for this cover story, the pay for the two to, th- two to three days of all-consuming work really doesn't pencil out for me. I just sort of get obsessed, you know, and that's all I do. Anyhow. So, after the couple-hour visit, I walked down the hill to Superior Street and contemplated my options at a bus stop. This was March 2017, and it was quite cold with a stiff breeze flying in off the lake. I wasn't about to walk home into that while really relishing in the uncertainty of it all. As I attempted to get in this, I'm trying to say that I was enjoying the uncertainty of it all, sorry. It's hard to read this, you know it's like i it's like i I know I could do a better podcast if I could just speak extemporaneously, but I know I can't I just I ramble and yada, 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 so roll with me, I'm not perfect, you guys, um anyway, I was enjoying the uncertainty of it all. It's cold, and you know the wind is blowing and um and I'm still just trying to to get in the heads of kids who frequently find themselves shut out in the cold like that. I learned that the next bus wouldn't arrive for an hour, and then looked up at what may have beguiled me more than anything ever has: Seven West Tap House directly across the street. As I stated previously, it was almost impossible for me to justify spending any money that didn't go directly to feeding and caring for my family. Besides that, we don't do restaurants like i I haven't done this since then that was. Five years ago, and I, and I still haven't done that by myself, ever. <laughs> like, a couple times I've met with friends and done that, but that's it. Anyhow, um, I decided to cross the street and merely peek inside. Just take a look. And when I reached the door, I knew I had achieved the connection I was searching for as I met the sign taped to the door as a significant barrier between this new, less familiar world and the more comfortable one behind it. The sign basically stipulated that the, restaurants, the restrooms rather, were for patrons only, and I immediately felt how difficult the situation must be for people out on the margins of society. Rather than stay outside with them, however, I elected to push through the barrier and enjoy a tasty hamburger, fries, and beer in warm, unbelievably comfortable surroundings as the wind raged outside. It was priceless. I had no cash with me, but that that was fine because I had two credit cards to choose from with $20,000 or so to work with. Roughly equivalent to what we brought in during those lean years. So this was indeed a significant luxury, one which was absolutely unreachable for someone without a credit history and all that crap. A couple hours later, when I finally made it home, the mailbox contained several offers of pre-approved, easy money once again, highlighting the tremendous dissonance between my experience, which, for a family of four, was technically below the poverty line, and that of the homeless. Such engagements with culture help us to build empathy and simultaneously resist that corrosive tendency to feel sorry for ourselves. That burger and beer were incredible. I think I'm continuing to enjoy them five years later, though I haven't been back. Perhaps I should set up a buy me a burger link in addition to the buy me a coffee in the show notes. (laughs) Anyhow, I share this to encourage you to connect with culture, the riches of which are all around you, rather than merely consume it behind some digital device. Although it can certainly include that, as I'm doing now with the Station Eleven series right now. Although I'm trying to demonstrate that I'm really connecting with this series and it's making me think. Anyhow, it just seems like a large mass of humanity isn't all that much different than I was in my teen years, all shut in amidst the detritus of hoarding, afraid to be seen or heard. Perhaps the weight of digital detritus has a similar effect. I don't know. Bringing all this together, however, I'll show... I'll share, sorry, share a couple of controversial-ish stories I've recently come across. Number one isn't so consequential. None of these are. But definitely revealing in more ways than one. A few days ago, some famous actress was asked by American Airlines to put on a blouse because her attire, a bra, and biker shorts were considered inappropriate for first class. Her sister proceeded to share photos on Instagram that drummed up a big news story. Now, how in the world is this national news? Does this contribute to culture in any meaningful way? Meanwhile, Putin is clearing out Russia's Ukrainian embassy as we speak. Okay, Right now, at this moment, they're emptying their embassy and is on the verge of ordering a full-scale invasion of the country. Oh yeah, how could I forget? The pandemic also rages on, with hospitals overloaded beyond capacity across the globe. Somehow, I'm supposed to feel aggrieved for this poor millionaire in her thousand-dollar bra who suffered the indignity, uh, indignity, indignity of it all, and who, by the way, has a show to promote. All right. Number two, oh sorry, I'll just a side note. I'm just endlessly fascinated by those stories, and and. And and just like the Kardashians, every day seem to make the news. Anyhow, the second is a, a story I just read today, which is likewise somewhat banal, but since it emanates from a group of people who profess my faith, it cuts deeply for me. There's a case before the Supreme Court, and they're due to decide on it by the end of June, because the, the Boston City Hall wouldn't allow this Christian group to fly their flag with a cross on it atop the building while they it's atop City Hall, sorry. While they held their permitted permitted event on the plasma uh, plasma on the plaza out front. Apparently the city has a third flagpole on top of the big structure, which I recall from our days out there is uniquely ugly, just worthy of the of the Soviets. I, I still remember. It's just shocking because the city is so full of amazing 18th century architecture and and earlier, um, and this just monstrosity just looms. Anyhow, um, I got a parking ticket fixed there once. Not that that matters, but anyhow. But they there's this. Um, oh yeah, this flagpole, third flagpole on the structure. So you got the U.S. flag, the Massachusetts flag. And then a third one that's kind of a wild card, which they allow for various groups to use during their events. So, predictably, the city wouldn't allow them to fly their Christian flag because this would constitute an endorsement of a religion. So the group had designed their own flag. It's like a cross in a little blue square and an otherwise white flag. I mean, it's it's not a big deal. It's not an offensive flag or anything, but they just weren't going to endorse a religion like like that right on top of the building. And I, I get it. It's fine. It's like I can still exercise my faith without having a freaking flag flying over the Boston City Hall. Anyhow, surprisingly, the Biden administration and the ACLU are actually on the side of the Christian group as a matter of free speech. While the Anti-Defamation League sides with the city for pretty good reasons, actually, that... You know, that hate groups, neo-Nazis, etc., could then have legal grounds for their flags to fly over City Hall, which could be a powerful symbol for them to use in their stupid propaganda. Anyway, what disturbs me is that this is emblematic of a large percentage of Christians who care more about exercising their rights or securing them legally than in contributing to culture or, se- or serving their neighbors sacrificially. Why couldn't this group have simply worked with the city for a compromise rather than costing both sides millions of dollars in litigation fees? I don't know what it costs to bring something all the way, you know, through appeals and whatnot to the Supreme Court, but it is not cheap. Um, I'm picturing some poor city, city administrator with their hands tied, basically, just begging the group to simply bring their own flagpole. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been better? Wouldn't that have been fine? No, they'd rather defeat them. Well, litigation may result in a small, relatively meaningless victory, and also as the, you know, that anti-defamation league mentioned, result in uh, unforeseen consequences. While simultaneously, okay, this is a part that I worry about, simultaneously turning off the hearts and minds of millions of people in the surrounding area. Now having lived out there for 2 years, I can assure you that the vast majority of Bostonians agree with the city's policy on this. Why not work within the established limits? I mean, obviously, they were able to have their their event out front. And, you know, it's not like anybody walking up would be like, where's the freaking flag, man? (laughs) You know, like you know, 150 feet up into the air. But anyway, my prediction is that the city will lose the case but will still decline to fly the flag by simply removing the flagpole altogether so nobody can use it. Now, is that outcome worth this massive misdirection of resources and attention? Once again, this is not how a wise soul woos hearts and minds. Which also brings to mind a local controversy brought to the attention of a large swath of the city by the radical I mentioned by name in episode number seven called Enjoying Radicals. This is just from a few days ago. He um, took a photo of a city bus with a basic advertisement on its rear for a Christian radio station, 88 point something FM, which, you know, most folks are fine with, I think. The problem is that, somewhat hilariously, the words, Jesus, I trust in you, were printed on the top of the bus, probably six feet from the obvious ad. So it's like the ad is on the bottom of the back, and then these words, Jesus, I trust in you, were at the top. Um, we need not stir up ire in the hearts and minds of our neighbors, in my humble estimation. The basic ad would suffice, methinks. The block letters at the top really didn't look like an ad at all, but a profession of faith. Uh, sorry, a profession of faith by a large public bus. Um. My hope is that cool minds will prevail, and people can just get together and use some common sense, rather than everyone needing to get all litigious. We just can't afford that. So, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah, good question. Well, in my ongoing efforts to alienate my tiny audience and reduce it further to perhaps two individuals sitting on the other side of a card table while I deliver a monologue, allow me to push this just a bit further because I was fairly devastated by the following realization just 11 days ago when James Altucher had Tucker Max on his podcast it's not that Tucker Max was wrong in, in, in all of his conclusions. He's a very accomplished and successful individual, but also incredibly arrogant. Long story short, he moved to Texas for freedom and basically says to all those crazy liberals, leave me the F alone. Those are his words, not mine. Just repeatedly, leave me the F alone. More striking is, this, is the attitude that prioritized his personal freedom over any responsibility to care for his neighbor as he wages war against the tyranny of things like mask mandates. Oh my gosh, the mask mandates. The strident attitude makes me think of the unkind, uncharitable individual. Did I say that right? Individual? Uncharitable individual on a nearby road who has just mean signs all over his yard. Larson is not my mayor. Just in whining about all sorts of petty misgivings. Now, it just doesn't take a biblical scholar to understand that this uncaring vitriol is completely unchristian. Tucker Max, to his credit, does not claim to be a person of faith. What bothered me wasn't Max or his message, in fact. Rather, it was the understanding that a very large percentage of earnest, God-fearing Christians would feel comfortable and seek out his company over and against that of kinder people, who similarly might not share their faith but who care for the poor, God's creation, or what have you. In fact, they might even be more comfortable with this godless attitude that insists on being right and exercising freedoms over and against the wishes of their neighbors to someone who even shares their faith, but who happens to disagree with them on petty political matters. This is really troubling. For the first time in my life at the age of 45, I've come to realize just how swept away by dominant culture even earnest, true blue Christians can be. So here's where the rubber meets the road. And I'm sorry if this is really disconcerting or too controversial or something that you shouldn't say. All right, But this is what I wrestled with. So pick your atrocity. And maybe I previously would have rationalized the behavior of Christians in that particular era, be it slavery, sending Native Americans to boarding schools that abused them, etc. I never understood prior to this, amazingly, okay? I just, it's kind of shocking to me that this like podcast would do this to me, but I never understood prior to this that a, that a sincere person of faith, okay, so an actual person of faith, walking with God, in my opinion. actually engage in such obvious heinousness and that in my humble opinion explains the love affair of so many with a previous president whose name must not be uttered just this past weekend this individual speaking before thousands at a political rally in arizona uttered numerous lies with obvious evil intent for example he claimed that they you know the infamous they are denying vaccines or therapeutic treatments to white people. Now, is he attempting to incite a race war? For exhibit two, I'll relay some live footage I saw from a political rally in Minneapolis back in 2020, where he made sexual gestures in front of something like 20,000 people. You believe that? He actually made humping motions at the podium as his sycophants Politely smiled in the background. They were super uncomfortable back there. And I I turned it on for like five minutes just out of curiosity and, and and I see this just at random in like a one or a two hour event. Crazy, right? I don't know what else he did. Now, these aren't the actions of a man who was repentant of his much publicized sins. In all of American history, these two extremely minor examples of this person's erratic behavior would have immediately relegated him to the sidelines as unfit for office, but instead tens of millions heap him with praise, a known liar cheat, and and one with unquenchable libido, etc. Just go on and on. Pick your poison. Now, many of his supporters are people of faith who care more about winning than about serving their neighbors. This is the dark side of culture. It has the power to blind us to the most basic application of simple spiritual truths that a child can understand. Would I feel differently if I lived at the other end of I-35, down in Dallas? On the northern end, it ends up here in Duluth. Now, I do have friends listening who disagree with me on these and other matters, okay? So this isn't a direct shot at anybody, okay, or family. But I'm, I'm quite sure our friendships are far stronger than, than this, okay? So I just wanted to get this out. And never fear, my audience is so small that uh, we aren't doing any damage to the world or the church or the country, I don't think. <laughs> Anyhow, I just legitimately fear that this inability to engage with local culture and collaborate the short-sighted need to be right might actually result in the dissolution of our country or the end of our democracy. Now, this statement would have sounded lunatic fringe just five or six years ago. Just think about how far we have come in five or six years, but now we must actually consider it, talk about it, and understand it, okay? A recent poll showed 52% of Trump voters, I said his name, sorry, and 41% of Biden voters support breaking the country up into red and blue. Can you believe that? It's astounding. Anything over like 5% of either side is, is like a lot. Now look at a map immediately after World War II, and you're going to discover far fewer countries, like about half. Okay? So we're not immune to this trend Of larger company, countries breaking up into smaller ones. You know, think like Czechoslovakia to the Czech Republic and you know Slovakia. Anyhow, notice how I mumbled that because I couldn't think of it offhand. Is it Slovakia? I don't know. I don't care right now. We are not immune to this trend. The need to connect with culture and cultures is more acute now than ever. You will discover that it's difficult to hate people when you've grown to love them. It's really as simple as that. And finally, I just want to ask you, are you you, or are you not contributing to a healthy culture? We've really entered into a period of, of a sort of societal darkness, which history has displayed in many eras. This isn't simply politics. And I'm sorry I had to mention the topic so specifically. I hope to never do it again, ever. There's just the general unkindness in the air, perhaps akin to a sweet soccer mom driving aggressively in traffic because the other cars are sort of anonymous, such as this era of social media and the internet. So we just, I just don't think we can handle it. <laughs> Regardless of your opinions on the controversies of the day, we can be people of light by acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And look at that, we didn't go that long. So, if this resonated at all, I'd love it if you could share it with somebody. And thanks for listening. Um, Feel free to interact. Head over to eddiegilmore.com and you can do the contact me button or something and give me your thoughts. I know this is, I don't expect you to agree with much or anything I said, Um, but I would love to hear from you because sometimes this can feel a bit like a monologue. Thanks for listening. I'm going to go skiing. Adios.